We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson Preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi And now, Mike Hickson We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 17 Specifically verses 10 through 12 And the thrust of our study has to do with making sure that what we believe and practice is rooted and grounded in the Scriptures. And so I would encourage all of us to always check out what we hear with the Bible. You can never go wrong if you'll take what the Bible has to say, compare it to what you have read or heard, and then, based on what the Scripture says, always follow that. Let God's Word be your guide. If you'll let His Word be your guide, then God will richly bless you. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 105, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light under my pathway. In Acts chapter 17, we have an account of the, of the Apostle Paul and those who were with him. They had made their way to the city of Thessalonica, and there they reasoned with the Jews from the Scriptures for three Sabbaths. They were eventually run out of town. And so according to Luke, they make their way to the city of Berea. The Bereans were commended by Luke because they were receptive to the Scriptures. They researched what they heard from the Scriptures, and then they responded positively to the Scriptures. I want to begin tonight by, first of all, talking about how the Bereans were receptive to the Scriptures. Listen, if you would, to what Luke tells us, beginning in verse 10, the passage that was read a moment ago. Having been literally run out of the city of Thessalonica, Luke says that the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded or noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness. Some translations say with all readiness of mind. I want to begin by saying that the people in Berea, first and foremost, they had an open heart. If God's word's going to germinate and ultimately bring forth fruit in the lives of people, those very same people have to have an open heart. In Luke chapter 8, verse 15, Jesus talks about those who were receptive to the word. In Luke chapter 8, verse 11, he said that the seed of the kingdom is the word, that is the word of God. But he identifies the kind of heart that is receptive to truth. And he said they have an honest or noble and good heart. An honest heart is the kind of heart that is receptive to divine truth. 
When you look at the Bereans, you find out that they had honest and good hearts. And so Luke commends them for that. In order to have an honest and good heart, there are some things that the heart has to be free from. For example, an honest and good heart is not prejudiced. Sometimes it's the case that people have preconceived ideas. They have already prejudged certain things, and so they're not open to truth. They're not willing to give God and His Word what we would call a fair hearing. They're prejudiced. Now, we're very well acquainted with people who are prejudiced in the world today. Some are prejudiced towards others based on their education, their social standing, some on the basis of race, some gender. And yet, when you look at those of us who are in the world, it's possible that we could become prejudiced towards the truth. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In John chapter 5, Jesus is recorded as having a conversation with some of the Jews of his day. And he told them, he said, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. The Jews had misconceptions about the Messiah. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't fit their picture of the Messiah. He wasn't what they were looking for, the kingdom that he talked about. Wasn't the kind of kingdom that they envisioned. They have in mind this earthly kingdom. And yet Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom that Jesus came to establish and did establish was a spiritual kingdom. And so Jesus didn't fit the criterion that the Jews, many of the Jews of his day, were looking for. And so he said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. He said, these are they which testify of me. But then he said, but you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. John would tell us in John chapter 1 that Jesus came to his own and yet his own received him not. Why? Because many were prejudiced. An honest and good heart is free from prejudice. It's also free from pride. Sometimes we are convinced in our mind a thing is a certain way only to later come to realize we've been wrong all along. Think about people in yesteryear that envisioned the earth as being flat. There were a lot of folks that thought that. They believed that the world that we live in is flat. And yet, by way of astronomy, science, we know that the earth is round. As a matter of fact, Isaiah foretell, or rather, Isaiah speaks of the roundness, the spherical shape of the earth in his book. It takes a lot of humility to say, you know what, I've been wrong. I was wrong. And it's quite possible that, that there are occasions in life when we feel very strongly about a subject, about something. It may be something that is biblical. 
And we've been taught this for years and years and years. And then we come to find out that what we've been taught isn't true. And so it takes humility to say, I was wrong. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And then an honest and good heart is free from being presumptive. Let me give you an example of, of what I'm talking about. Do you remember a fellow by the name of Naaman? Naaman was a leper. And this man had the opportunity to come into contact with the great prophet of God. Elisha the prophet sent a messenger to Naaman and told him to go dip in the Jordan seven times. And he said, your flesh will be restored and you'll be clean. Now you can read the text back in 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman became furious at what the prophet had told him to do. But there's a statement that he made that I think is very interesting. He said, behold, I thought. Sometimes we think a certain thing. And we find out that what we've been thinking all along is all wrong. So Naaman said, Behold, I thought. And the bottom line, if Naaman wanted to be healed of his leprosy, you know what he had to do? Go and dip seven times in the river Jordan. And then he would be cleansed. And only then. So, the Bereans were receptive to the scriptures. But there's a second thing. Not only were they receptive, but they researched the scriptures. Listen again to what Luke tells us in verse 11. He said, These, that is the Bereans, were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness or readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. There are a number of things that emerge out of a study of this context. First and foremost, there has to be an investigation of the Word of God. We ought to be willing to investigate what God has to say in His Word. We talk about the all-sufficiency of the Scriptures. Paul said all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 34, said, Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. You will never know what the word of God says until you open it. The Bereans had not only an open Mind, they had an open Bible. That is, they were willing to take the Scriptures and as they heard the Word of God, they searched. That is, they investigated. They made sure that what they heard coincided with what the Bible has to say. Listen again. 
They searched the scriptures daily to find out whether those things were so. We ought to be willing to investigate truth. Truth has nothing to fear. The question is, do we have an honest and good heart? Are we willing to investigate? Are we willing to give God an impartial hearing? Are we willing to put to the test what we, what we hear? I want to talk for a minute or two about investigating the Scriptures and then secondly, interpreting the Scriptures. There are a lot of things that are said in the religious world today that when you begin to read and evaluate what the Bible has to say, you're going to find out that the two are not compatible. How many times have you heard somebody say, it really doesn't matter what church you belong to. It really doesn't matter whether or not you are a quote-unquote member of the church. That seems somewhat odd to me. Because the Bible tells us that salvation is in Christ, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. And the only way we can get into Christ is to be baptized into Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. Paul said, you're all sons of God by faith. In Christ Jesus, as many of us, as we're baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. When we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we are placed in the church, in the body. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, By one spirit were you all baptized into one body. Well, somebody asks the question, what's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. So do you have to be a member of the church to go to heaven? Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, Paul said that Jesus is the Savior of the body. So to those who say, you know what, it really doesn't matter whether or not you're a member of the church, you need to say, now wait a minute. I can read in my Bible where Paul said that when we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into the church. And we have to be in the church because if we want to go to heaven... That's the sphere where the redeemed are located, Ephesians 5.23. Now, there are others in the world today, and in no way would I impugn their motives, their heart. But how many times have you heard somebody say, Oh, you're a member of the Church of Christ. I know about you guys. You're that group of folks that or a part of a church that Alexander Campbell started. You're a Campbellite. You ever been called a Campbellite? I am not a Campbellite. I am not a member of the church that Alexander Campbell started. As a matter of fact, I have in my pocket, I've got a $100 bill right here. I'll give it to any person who can prove to me that Alexander Campbell started the Church of Christ. All you got to do is be able to prove it. If you can prove it, you can have the hundred. I've got another hundred in my billfold. You can have it too. i got a 50 as well. You can have that. <laughs> I'll just keep upping the ante. If you can prove Alexander Campbell started the Church of Christ, you, you're, you're welcome to this money. I'll give it to you. 
But now you need to understand, you better have your gun loaded. Because Paul said in Romans chapter 16, verse 16, I'll just leave this out. Might be somebody will take me up on the offer. The churches of Christ salute you. Paul wrote to the Romans in about A.D. 57. Alexander Campbell wasn't even born until the 1700s. Paul knew something about the church of Christ before Alexander Campbell was even a reality. There are a lot of folks in our world today, there are a lot of people in this country, they have the idea churches of Christ originated with Alexander Campbell. There are congregations in Alabama and Tennessee that predate the arrival of the Campbells. Thomas Campbell came to America in 1807. Alexander came to America in 1809. They weren't even baptized into Christ until 1812. Don't tell me Alexander Campbell started the Church of Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Jesus promised to build the church. I want to be a member of the church that Jesus built. I want to be a part of the church that Jesus Christ functions as the foundation. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. The psalmist said, except the Lord build the house, those who labor, labor in vain. When people tell you that you're a part of a church that began with Thomas and Alexander Campbell, you can say, now wait just a minute. That's not what the Bible says. You read for them, Romans chapter 16, verse 16, and you hold their feet to the fire, and you ask them, do you believe what the Bible says? The Bible says there were churches of Christ, that is, there were people that belonged to Jesus Christ. When I talk about the church of Christ, all I'm saying is, it is the church that belongs to Christ. Why would anybody have a problem with that? Now somebody says, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't. You want to go to heaven? You want to be a part of a church that began by Jesus or by men? We want people to be a member of the church that we can read about in the Bible. So when we plead with people to study with us, what we're trying to do is say, look, you want to be a member of the church that Jesus built and bought with his blood. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And you can be a member of that church. Let me just add this. How many people in, in the world today have the idea that to become a Christian, all you have to do is recite a simple prayer. Accept the Lord Jesus into your heart, ask Him to forgive you of your sins, and you'll be saved. I want to ask you a question. Where in the Bible do you read that? Now, the Bereans were commended because they searched the Scriptures daily. Am I out of line if I simply ask somebody to tell me, where's the verse? Where in the Bible does it say, Recite the sinner's prayer. Let's look at Acts chapter 2. Just since we're in Acts, back up and look at Acts chapter 2 very quickly. In Acts chapter 2, 
In verse 37, when Peter and the other apostles preached the gospel, the Bible says when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were pricked. And so they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now I want you to listen to what Peter said. And bear in mind that Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So, here's what Peter said. Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And why? For the remission of sins. I have heard denominational preachers quote Acts 2.38 and omit baptism. That's not being honest with the text. Can you imagine having been present on Pentecost Day and crying out to Peter and the rest of the apostles and saying, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter's saying, Repent and be baptized, and somebody waving their hand in the air and saying, Now wait a minute, Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. Surely you don't mean we have to be baptized into Christ. Here's what Jesus said, He that believeth, and is baptized, shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Did Jesus know what he was talking about? Why would I undermine what the Lord said? Why would I circumvent what the Apostle Peter taught? Why would I circumvent what the Apostle Paul was told to do before he became a Christian? In Acts chapter 22, Paul said he was instructed by Ananias to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins. Can you be saved without being baptized into Christ? Peter said, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. What did he mean? He meant exactly what he said. What did Jesus mean when he said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved? He meant exactly what he said. Now my question is, am I out of line if I simply ask somebody, where in the Bible do you read of the sinner's prayer? You'll search from now till Jesus comes and you'll never find it. You know why? Because it's not there. Just like one church is good as another church, it's not there. Just like some who say it really doesn't matter if you belong to the church, you can have a relationship with Jesus. Not so. Why? Because it's not in the Word. There are a lot of things that people propagate in our world today that when put to the test, don't meet the litmus test of divine truth. Is this serious? We're talking about the salvation of the souls of people. If we want to go to heaven, we better make sure that our lives are in conformity to this word. Now we talk about those who are prejudiced, proud, presumptive. And there are people in our world today, they have prejudged the church. And they will live and die believing Alexander Campbell was the originator of the church of Christ. But Paul said, he is the head of the body of the church, which is the beginning. That word beginning in Colossians 1.18 means the originator, the active source from which something began. All Paul's saying is, Jesus is the one that began the church. He originated it. There are people in our, in our world today, they will live and die believing a lie. There are people in our world today that will live and die believing the sinner's prayer is biblical. But it's not. 
I don't say that to hurt any person. I say it to help people. Because you see, when it's all said and done, when the dust clears, we're going to be judged according to this book and this book alone. Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, listen to him. He said, The same shall judge him in the last day. John 12, verse 48. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 2, verse 2, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. You better know what this book teaches. Why? Because you're going to be judged by it. So, God's Word. Now, very quickly, our time's gone. Went quickly for me. Look again at Acts chapter 17. Not only is there an investigation of truth, but there must be an interpretation of truth. The Bereans searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether those things were so. Paul was an inspired apostle, wasn't he? And yet they checked him out. Look, I don't want anybody to take what I say and just believe it. I want you to take what you hear me say and make sure it's in this book. You make sure what I say, what Billy says, what Donald says, what Jared says, what Brother Dio says, what any of us say, you make sure it's in this book. If it's in this book, then you need to honor it. If it's not in this book, then by all means reject it. Paul was an inspired apostle and these people checked him out. And yet we got people today in our world, they will hear something said by some charismatic preacher or teacher and they will buy into it hook, line, and sinker. Never check it out, never investigate. And sometimes people will say, well, my pastor said this or my preacher said this. Look, you better make sure that it's what the Bible says. The standard is God's Word. The standard's not Alexander Campbell. It's not Thomas Campbell. It's not Mike Hickson. It's not any man. The standard is the Word. John said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, not every teacher, but try the teachers, try the spirits. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Paul taught in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you can rightly interpret Scripture, then you can wrongly interpret Scripture, can't you? You better make sure that what you believe, what you practice, is in the Bible. Now, very quickly, note if you would their response to the Scriptures. Verse 12, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women, as well as men. Does this not underscore, first and foremost, the power of the gospel? The power is not in the messenger, it's in the message. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Not only is this a testimony to the power of the gospel, but also to the plan and purpose of the gospel. God designed the gospel and the church to house both Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks. You have the bringing together of all people in one body. That's God's design. In Isaiah chapter 2, in verses 2 and 3, Isaiah said that all nations would flow into this spiritual house. 
Paul said that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. Our time's gone. A lot more I could say, a lot more that I wanted to say. But I hope and pray that when we look to the Bereans, we will have a deep appreciation for how they handled the Scriptures because they made sure that what they heard coincided with the Scriptures. That's all we're asking people today. You make sure what you hear is in this book. If you'll do that, God will bless you. It may be the case that you're here tonight, you're not a Christian, you're not a part of the body of Christ. You need to be baptized into Christ so that all your sins can be washed away. Why not do that tonight? Why not become a part of the body of Christ, a part of the redeemed, the saved, the cleansed? If you'll do that, the Bible assures us God will put you in His body. That is in the church, Acts 2.47. If you're faithful till death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life When the clouds unfold their wings of strife? When the strong tides lift and the cables strain Will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.